0: Tonight on Huckabee, Dr. David Aronoff on personal safety in the coronavirus, Charlie Kirk reveals winning ideas for Washington, and John Tesh joins us.
1: And now, here's Mike Huckabee. Well, welcome to our very unique show. Now tonight, our show won't be like any we have ever done. But then across America, we are all doing things in ways we've never done. I'm doing my part of the show remotely because travel to our Nashville theater has become difficult at best. And with government at all levels urging us to stay where we are, we wanna model the best practices to keep the horrific coronavirus pandemic from getting even worse. Now, on tonight's show, we're going to be giving some vital information about coping with the impact of being quarantined, including some creative and safe ways to cook good meals and even some entertaining comedy because, quite frankly, we need to laugh in the midst of all of the gloom and doom that we hear and we find ourselves living these days. I take this pandemic seriously, and you should as well but statistically your risk of getting the virus is still remote and the risk of dying from it is minimal. But there is a virus that we hear almost nothing about these days and it absolutely is going to touch you. And in fact, the death rate from this virus is 100%. I speak of the virus of sin, an infection that's been passed on since the beginning of human existence. It's a virus that we all have and we're born with. Now the Bible says it this way, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And sadly, every single one of us will actually die from it. Again, the message of the Bible is that the wages of sin is death. Well, that's pretty dismal. Sounds kind of hopeless. But while we can't stop the earthly consequences of the sin virus, the rest of that verse tells us there's a cure. It says the wages of sin may be death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The cure is blood-based, the blood of a savior that cures the sin virus for its eternal effect. Now, I'm not saying this to be preachy, But just to remind you that even in the midst of some of the most frightening days of our nation's history, and while understanding that many are gonna have a hard time just paying bills, holding a job, finishing school, or visiting elderly relatives, in the midst of all of that, there's hope. There is light in the midst of the darkness. And even if you're able to avoid coronavirus, you still need to take steps to protect yourself from an even more deadly virus, but one that already has a cure, and a cure that costs you nothing but your willingness to accept it. Well, tonight we're going to employ the old adage, the show must go on. And so we're taking some extraordinary steps to bring you The Huckabee Show in a very unique way. My partner in this show and our ever talented announcer, Keith Bilbury, joins me but at a safe distance of several hundred miles. Keith, it's a delight to be with you, even if not in person. Well, we do miss you. Now, Trey, on the other hand, you know how
0: he is. He's uh, he's just <laughs> glad to get out of the house, and I'm keeping my distance from him.
1: We're we're all safe. We're all, healthy. and I think we're you should. Everything's good. <laughs> you know, I I tell you, I do miss being there, and I'm so grateful for the extraordinary resources of TBN because without the terrific crew and the team uh, and their ability to figure out things, we wouldn't be able to do this, but because of uh, great engineering uh, skills that they possess and uh, the miracle of modern electronics, we're gonna be able to do this show as if we were right there in the theater. We'll miss a few things that we can't do, but uh, you know, Keith, I, I do think it's important for us to remind people take seriously those warnings that the government is you giving bet. us because uh, there are people in a world of hurt out there. Yeah, we, uh, I
0: have a good friend here in town who's a, a doctor and has been for years. And his, his daughter is, is in uh, uh, the uh, infectious diseases division of, of Vanderbilt. And he, he said, Keith, they're not fooling. You, you need to take this thing seriously. And it's amazing the simple steps that can be taken to protect yourself, washing
1: your hands you know, and doing it right. Uh, Just things like that and keeping your distance from people. Well, that's why we're gonna wash our hands all throughout this show, just to prove to the audience we're taking it serious. And I'm gonna keep my distance from trade. So there you go. (laughs) Well, as the coronavirus or COVID-19 spreads throughout the country and around the world, Americans rightly wanna know what they can do to protect themselves and just how bad could this ultimately get. How long is it gonna go on? My next guest is an infectious disease expert. Dr. David Aronoff is the director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at nearby Vanderbilt University. He's here tonight to answer some of those questions. Dr. Aronoff, first of all, what makes this coronavirus different from SARS and H1N1 and other things that have happened but certainly did not require the kind of response that we've had to this?
2: Yeah, really good question. I think one of the main differences between this particular coronavirus and other respiratory viruses we've had to deal with, including other coronaviruses, is just how easy it seems to be to transmit this virus. That's a key difference. And also, it causes pretty severe disease. Um, SARS also caused severe disease, but it wasn't as transmissible. So this is quite a combination.
1: Do we have any idea how long that Americans need to kind of hunker down and be prepared to uh, quarantine and avoid being together with other people.
2: Well, I, I sure hope it's sooner than that. We look at the experience right now in countries that have already gone through a lot of this coronavirus pandemic, China, South Korea, and Italy, and we're starting to see some cresting reduced numbers of cases, particularly in China. And that's over the course of more months as opposed to 18 months. And so I'm certainly more optimistic that we're
1: um, in the range of months and not something as long as a year or longer. A lot of people have sort of ignored this and said, it's not that big a deal. Uh, You know, not that many people have died. Explain to us why this is a big deal, such a big deal that you saw Major League Baseball, NBA, March Madness all canceled. Deep down, we should know that that doesn't happen unless it's a big deal. Why are people missing understanding that?
2: Well, it's an interesting time. We've never really seen anything like that in in recent history. And I think one of the important things we're realizing about this virus is that most people that get infected with it are, in fact, asymptomatic or have very mild symptoms. Uh, And it's really about 20% of people that have a difficult time with this infection and need perhaps to be hospitalized. And we're seeing 10% or so needing to be in the intensive care unit. And somewhere in the range of 1 to 3% of people who get infected are dying from this infection. Um, But because the vast majority of people who are getting infected either don't know they're infected at all or have very mild symptoms, I think it can lead to some complacency.
1: You uh, are an expert in infectious diseases, so I'm getting your perspective and interested in it. What has the federal government and the local governments done that has given you a sense that they're doing it right? And what gives you grave concern that they may not have quite hit the mark?
2: I think what we're faced with is that the country is a very large country and coordinating across states and coordinating both from the top down, from the federal government into the states, and from the bottom up is, A big machine. It's hard to do. And I've been personally impressed by how much more open the lines of communication are and how how much people are respecting each other's roles in this. But we're certainly learning a lot and and we'll probably be a very different nation in terms of how we uh,
1: handle things like this in the future. There's been a lot of uh, conversation the last several days about the malaria medicine and the fact that it's been on the market for 50 years. I realize there haven't been clinical trials and a lot of scientific evidence, but there's certainly anecdotal evidence that it has a very uh, curative effect upon uh, COVID-19. How much stock are you putting in the use of uh, the malaria medicine as a potential cure for uh, coronavirus?
2: Well, I, I think it's really a mixed bag. It's very promising and it's inexpensive and it has a very long safety record in human use. And all of those things are really good. Um, but we don't yet know how much better it is or if it is better than just doing standard supportive care. What we're hearing is promising and that's great. I think Tony Fauci uh, from NIH suggested at the press conference from the federal government that we do need To be very careful and and study this and see how much benefit we're really getting. I'm excited about the fact that this is a safe medicine and it's inexpensive and could be
1: rolled out pretty well, but I don't know yet how effective it'll be. Dr. Aronoff, we hear a lot of people tell us that the main things we can do is wash our hands a lot, avoid touching surfaces, and practice social distancing. I, I mean, we get that, but are there other things that we should or could do that maybe we haven't focused on as much? At the individual level, you really hit the nail on the head. It's not
2: touching your face and and being able to remember to engage in hand hygiene with soap and water for 20 seconds or reaching for hand sanitizer if you don't have soapy water. Remembering not to shake hands, not to engage in hugs and coughing into the crick or corner of your elbow instead of onto your hands. and and really trying to be a homebody and not going out in public unless absolutely necessary. Those are individual levels of things that we can try to do. But even those simple tasks can be sometimes challenging and we forget. So it takes a lot of communication and just a lot of focus.
1: My guess is that of the many years you've taught uh, medical students about infectious diseases, Those students are sitting up a little straighter these days, listening to uh, the lessons that they need to understand about infectious diseases. Is there one particular message that you're trying to get across, even to your students at Vanderbilt, learning about infectious diseases that maybe they've not thought that much about before? Wow, I love that
2: question. I've not been asked that question before, but it's really important. I think one of the main lessons that we keep learning about infectious diseases is how much they can disrupt society, uh, politics, culture, they can lead to wholesale changes in the way that we interact. I mean, I bet coming out of this experience, we're going to see a lot more people working at home or doing meetings online. Uh, A lot of the fabric of our society, not just here in America, but around the world, is going to be transformed by this COVID-19, and there aren't that many medical conditions outside of infectious diseases that are just that
1: powerful. Dr. Aronoff, I want to say thanks so much for giving us a, a very practical and uh, sensible understanding of this uh, horrendous situation that we're facing. But you give us a lot of hope and a lot of comfort. And uh, your students are fortunate to be able to have you in the classroom, helping them to better understand it. And we're grateful to have you help us better understand it. We hope to see you soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Keith Bilbury is standing by and he's going to tell us What else we have on the show, but I want you to note we both washed our hands and we are keeping our social distance throughout this show, as we should and you should as well at home. Keith? You bet.
0: You can learn more about the coronavirus battle
1: and stay up to date on the very
0: latest advice and information by going to cdc.gov. That's cdc.gov. Coming up, conservative influencer Charlie Kirk and celebrity chef Whitney Miller. Later, television and radio veteran John Tesh joins us. All that and more coming up on Huckabee. Next week, news anchor Martha McCallum and comedian Zoltan Kazaz performs.
1: and welcome back as the chinese coronavirus pandemic continues are some of the people on the left taking an advantage of it all to push their partisan agenda and are we seeing president trump's whole america first platform validated in real time as the crisis plays out joining us now is the founder of turning point usa and author of the brand new best selling book the maga doctrine the only ideas that will win the future. Joining us is Charlie Kirk. Charlie, great to have you here. Let's just start out right off the bat. It does seem that the president was right all along by dependence upon China and uh, selling our soul to them. We ended up putting ourselves in a very vulnerable position for things like this
3: coronavirus. That's exactly right. And thank you, Governor, for having me on. And look, you're seeing right now Uh, play out what President Trump trying to warn Americans about four or five years ago. Remember, the ruling class in our country, they have had an inside-out relationship with the Chinese Communist Party with bad trade deals, with allowing them to build Confucius Institutes on our college campuses, which not questioning their infiltration into our country, hacking our cyber grid, uh, infiltrating the highest levels of influence in our media, And now you're seeing uh, a global pandemic, trillions of dollars of wealth being lost because China lied. Uh, China could have come clean in early January and said that there was a growing pandemic happening in their country. And the World Health Organization and America would have thanked them for their honesty. They should have suspended all flights. They should have taken responsibility for their actions and they did none of those things. And now you are seeing unspeakable loss, both financial, economic, and of course, the loss of life. So President Trump's agenda is being validated. And despite the left's best efforts to try to criticize him for being racially insensitive, for correctly categorizing this as the Chinese coronavirus, you're actually seeing his approval ratings go up. And a lot of the left was hoping that in the midst of this crisis that it would make him more vulnerable politically. We're seeing the exact opposite play out. When Ilhan Omar,
1: the congresswoman part of the squad from Minnesota compliments the president. When, when he gets kudos from uh, New York Governor Cuomo and California Governor Newsom, some of them are having to recognize that his management of the crisis is exactly
3: uh, textbook quality management. So now President Trump, he rebuilt the American economy once, he's gonna have to rebuild it again, and neither time was it his fault that the economy was in a less than desirable situation. You're seeing Cuomo and Governor Newsom To radical left wing Democrat uh, governors from New York and California, even compliment the president's decision making and problem solving here, whether it be cutting the red tape in the FDA or repositioning the USNS Mercy to New York City to allow a floating hospital to be created or getting people the help that they need in this time of crisis. So, the president, I think this is going to be the president's finest hour. Uh, And again, I think we as Americans need to unify and get behind the guidelines that the administration are issuing so we can defeat this virus once and for all. But it appears that a lot of the people on the younger end of the
1: uh, population spectrum tend to see this as no big deal. Many of them going on and partying hard on spring break, uh, continuing their activities, almost feeling inconvenience that they couldn't go to their bars and uh, have a good time.
3: What are they missing? Two thoughts on this. Number one, they don't believe the media because the media said it was going to be the end of the world around every single corner. Trump got elected, the world was gonna end. Trump decided to take out Qasem <laughs> Soleimani, we're gonna go to war with Iran. The Trump tax cut, Brett Kavanaugh, it's the, it's the boy who cried wolf, and eventually the young, young people don't trust that. Number two, the pundits and politicians and prognosticators that have tried to invalidate this president for the last three or four years, saying that he's not duly elected, don't listen to him. All young people have been told to distrust him. The third thing is this, is that young people should know better despite those things. It's incredibly narcissistic and outrageous to go to the beach and continue to party when the country is going through this sort of virus fight. And for we at Turning Point USA are trying to practice what we preach. We're giving people the option to work from home. Unfortunately, our entire campus schedule has been completely and totally shut down. Um, but we're doing what we can. And for students out there, and especially for parents, Um, I find no such humor in trying to defy these guidelines. And for young people who think they're invincible, just go read what's happening in France and Italy and Belgium where some of the most intensive cases are actually people in their 20s and 30s. Young people might think they're invincible and as someone who runs an organization that's on 2000 high school and college campuses, uh, pushing back very aggressively for students that think they're above this and totally invincible.
1: Charlie, you've got a best-selling book that's on fire right now, maybe more than ever because of the timeliness of it, Uh, your book, uh, The MAGA Doctrine. What is the MAGA Doctrine? How does that play out in real time, uh, both through this uh, crisis as well as through an election year?
3: I wrote The MAGA Doctrine to try to articulate the Trump philosophy because I was tired of left-wing pundits and prognosticators telling us what the president believed. And part of the MAGA Doctrine was being skeptical of our relationship with China, and stronger immigration. There's that old expression, Governor, there's no atheists in foxholes. And I've added now, there's no globalists in pandemics. You're seeing Justin Trudeau, you're seeing the EU shut off their borders to travel. And all of a sudden it seems like the entire world is taking a page from the MAGA doctrine, that strong borders and stricter immigration is actually something that might help your people and actually might help your citizenry. There's so much negative and so much carnage that has come out of this virus, but one thing, that I hope that we can learn, is that China is not our friend, that China is our greatest enemy, that they should be held responsible for this. President Donald Trump said it from his first speech coming down that escalator. And if you actually go back to his 19, early 1980s interview with Oprah Winfrey, President Donald Trump, then businessman Donald Trump said, China is ripping us off. They are laughing at us and we have to do something about it. And now it's all coming to play. I write about it in the MAGA Doctrine through a 30, 40 year analysis of the philosophy of Donald Trump, and um, he's going to protect America from this silent killer, and we are gonna be stronger than ever before thanks to the MAGA Doctrine and President Trump's leadership.
1: Charlie Kirk, thank you. It's always a pleasure to have you, and uh, I'm gonna ask Keith Bilber to tell everybody how they can get this book, which they will want to get, The MAGA Doctrine. Keith, take it away.
0: Well, you can find Charlie's book, The MAGA Doctrine, wherever books are sold, and follow Charlie on Twitter at CharlieKirk11. For more on Turning Point USA, check out tpusa.com. And check out the daily podcast, The Charlie Kirk Show, on Apple Podcast. Next, cooking tips to keep you safe with Chef Whitney Miller and Huck's hero Janie Busby. Later, media and music star John Tesh. Then, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection bring some hope here on Huckabee. Go to mikehuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at govmikehuckabee on
1: Twitter. Well, my next guest was the season one winner on Fox's hit series, MasterChef. She's introduced her special take on Southern cuisine all over the world. Her latest cookbook is Whitney Miller's New Southern Table, here to show us how to make food safe as well as restaurant delicious at home is Whitney Miller. Whitney, I only wish that I were there in person because I know that the team is gonna be able to sample some (laughs) of the stuff that you're cooking and I'm not gonna be able to do it.
4: I know, Governor, I'm missing you so much, but um, you'll have to do like that smell-o-vision and this um, mac and cheese is really just gonna come through with that, (laughs) oh, you're gonna want it.
1: (laughs) You had me at mac and cheese, Whitney. Tell us what you're making for us today.
4: Okay, so I'm a southern girl. I originate from Mississippi and now live just outside of Nashville. But uh, mac and cheese is something that just everyone loves. And right now, I think more than ever, everyone wants something comforting that um, really just plays to your emotions. And um, during this time, I go for those kind of comfort foods.
1: Ooh, sounds delicious. I'm ready.
4: Okay. For food safety, everybody should have some hand sanitizer, um, or you can wash your hands. So I'm going to do that right now. And then I also have some gloves. So one thing that I think um, everyone should consider is if you are doing takeout, which a lot of these restaurants are offering right now, um, more than ever, you should feel confident that they are taking every step they can to make sure that the food that they're giving to you um, is made with um, care. Um, They're using the best food safety measures. Um, I work with the restaurant um, uh, to be able to make my cookies. I use their kitchen. And I promise you, they are the cleanest they have ever been. So you should feel really good about getting your food and support these small restaurants, these small businesses that need you right now. So I have my gloves on. Um, I have preheated uh, a pot, and it's over just like a medium heat. And you want two tablespoons of butter. And then... um, Always a
1: good way to go. So
4: I have two cloves of garlic that I'm just going to add in. And garlic just... um, really perfumes and makes a dish really delicious. I wish you were here to smell it. (laughs) Uh. And then I just wanna give it a little bit of a stir. So to make a um, white sauce or to make any kind of sauce you really need to build like a roux. So this is a blonde roux. So now I have three tablespoons of flour that I'm gonna add and you always want it to cook just for a minute, or you're gonna taste this just like raw flour and you don't want that. (laughs) So um, I have two cups of milk and you just wanna use whole milk. And right now, if you just so happen not to be able to find whole milk, um, because really it's whatever you can find at the moment, um, you can always use like a powdered milk or you can use an evaporated milk. Um, really just anything right now that you can. Okay. I like to kind of gradually right. add it. That way um, it doesn't take as long to thicken. Now, Governor, are you familiar with, being that you you know, know Southern food, pimento cheese? Yes. Okay,
1: oh, good. Yeah, never go wrong with that.
4: It is the key for making an incredible mac and cheese, because what you want is a luscious, creamy, gooey. Now, if you just use straight-up cheese, I feel like what you're missing is that gooey factor, because the cheese will just seize up, Mm. and you won't have that good, delicious cheesiness. So this does have a little bit of cream cheese, and that is the key to making it nice and creamy and gooey. So I'm going to add this pimento Mm. mac and cheese. I like that. I mean, pimento cheese to make the mac and cheese. And the recipe is in um, my cookbook, New Southern Table, which is where this whole um, recipe is found
1: as well. Yeah, most of these recipes that you've got in your book, uh, these are things people can do at home. They don't have to be a master chef like you do, Mm-mm. which I think is what a lot of people are looking for when they get a book like that. Is is this something I can do, not something yes. that uh, you know Whitney Miller can do because she's she's a master chef, I'm not.
4: Exactly, so when I wrote this cookbook, as well as my first cookbook, Modern Hospitality, I wrote it with um, people in mind. So I, you know, myself love to cook, and I didn't want to go through a whole list in a recipe and see, like, I can't even find half these ingredients. And I'm from a small town in Mississippi, so my goal was if I couldn't find it in my small town grocery store, I wasn't putting it in my cookbook.
1: That is a great idea.
4: The cheese is just starting to melt, so if... Do um, you have any questions during this process?
1: <laughs> what are some foods they ought to have stockpiled? Maybe they don't have time to go get it now or the store is out, but what things mm-hmm. should people have in their homes in case we ever have another something like this where people are quarantined?
4: So um, I actually have a, a section in my cookbook for pantry staples. So in times like these, Um, I'm seeing that people think they know what they should be getting. So they're getting potatoes, they're getting your rice and your pasta, your beans, the canned goods aisles completely gone, frozen vegetables. So there's so many things that um, you can do in a crock pot. Um, Red beans and rice is a good like Southern dish. Um, You know, it's still cold in some areas of the country. So a good chili, Um, it's so easy to do a soup. I mean, you could put a main meat, so whether you have beef or chicken, add in your um, beans in there, some frozen vegetables. Uh, Soups are really the easiest thing I feel like to do like everything but the kitchen sink in a soup. So start there Um, and then check out my cookbook uh, because I have those pantry staples in there that really make it easy to know what you should be buying. And then baking, baking's so easy. I mean, making pancakes. You could get easily a pancake mix. Um, If you have children like me, who always trying to find ways to add vegetables in there, grab um, some sweet potatoes, cook it down, puree it, and add that, and then you have sweet potato pancakes, and you can feel good about giving your kids pancakes.
1: And you've got uh, also Whitney's Cookies, which is a whole new brand for you, I think, right?
4: I do, so I just started a cookie company not too long ago, Whitney's Cookies. I ship nationwide, and my whole goal with um, that, and while we're talking about that, I'm gonna add um, my my pimento, Um, my rotel tomatoes that add a little kick to this dish, and the crawfish, and then this sauce is ready to go. so Whitney's Cookies, I started because I want to bring people joy through food. And during this time, especially, I feel like people need some joy. They need some comfort food. And you don't even have to make it. You just contact me through Whitney's Cookies on Facebook or Instagram. You can order it. If you have a loved one that you just are missing so much, and you just want to bring them joy right now, um, I can add a personal message to your cookie box. Um, I have all kinds of delicious flavors, but check it out. These are um, some of them right here.
1: Well, Whitney, thank you. I know we're out of time, so make sure that Keith and Trey don't get to eat any of the oh, uh, no! mac and cheese made out of pimento, And for sure, uh, hold the cookies back so when I'm back in Nashville, I'll take care of the cookies for I you. I will. But thanks and for I'm being with us. Up, what a delight to have you.
4: I'm dishing up some right now. You can see it's cheesy, ooey-gooey, and you know what? I'll mm. take a quick bite for you.
1: You go ahead and, and take some, put some away in the freezer for me. I'll get it when I get back. Thank you so much for being there. And I would say Keith could come get some, but he's got to tell everybody where they can get those recipes and your great book.
0: Well, if you want to find out more of Whitney's great recipes to help you create restaurant-quality meals at home and for great cookbooks like the newest, Whitney Miller's New Southern Table, go to WhitneyMiller.com and follow her cookie company on Instagram, at Whitney's Cookies. Next, Huck's hero Janie Busby helping moms and their children in times of need. And John Tesh joins us later at inspirational music performance right here on Huckabee.
1: Well, and welcome back. You know, only Trey Corley would end up in the midst of a coronavirus pandemic of doing music leading into the segment that talks about the end of the world. I'm gonna have a chat with Trey about that a little later. Well, you may think of diapers as a necessity, but even those become a luxury to those in poverty. Tonight's Huck's Hero began her organization Mother to Mother to provide low-income mothers the necessities that they need to improve the life of a child.
5: Mother-to-mother distributes vital equipment, car seats, pack-and-place, diapers, clothing, all baby essentials ages zero to 10 years old. In 2019, we were able to reach over 40,000 children. I have eight over 85 social service agencies that help women. So from the hospitals where they could birth them, to any Martha O'Brien, McNeely Center, anything, any organization that helps women and children. So a lot of people don't know you can't get diapers on WIC or food stamps, and that is a huge expense for moms. Um, So to have these diapers readily
4: available for those moms um, is huge. We get moms calling um, day to day and they're on their last diaper for their kid. I can't even imagine what that might feel like to have your kid without a diaper or without a car seat or without a safe place to sleep. And just to lift that burden is huge.
5: About two years ago, we received a donation of a bus and were able to start a rural outreach. That is the most fun day for us. We load up the bus, then we actually get to see the interaction and hand it straight to the mom and let the children pick out their toys and their books. Any low-income mom that has a need, we want to be able to reach her.
1: Please welcome the founder of Mother to Mother and our this week's Huck's Hero Janie Busby. Janie, thanks for joining us. I wanna talk about what got you motivated to start this organization, Mother to Mother.
5: Thank you so much for having me today. I have always um, been bothered by the inequity in our world and mothers that are born to situations that I think they don't have the same advantages that some people have. So. I decided instead of volunteering a lot and being involved with it, that I really wanted to plunge in and do my best to try to fix the problem. So I started Mother to Mother in 2004, and my husband thought it was a terrible idea. I had no idea what I was doing. I had just moved to Nashville. I didn't know one person Ah. in Tennessee, and I just decided I was going to do it, and I'd figure it out and find the need and find a way to fill the need.
1: Did he apologize for telling you it was a bad idea? We all have to know, every man is wanting to know, did he say, okay, Janie, you were right, I was wrong. Did he do it?
5: I I don't know that he's necessarily said that, but I think he is proud of how large it's gotten now, so.
1: You talked about 40,000 children getting help, things from uh, obvious necessities like diapers, but car seats, which are also a necessity these days. I mean that's just a, a huge reach in terms of the number of people who are being genuinely helped by your organization. It's got to make you feel good deep inside.
5: It is. It's it's so rewarding. I love every day. I don't feel like it's a job at all. It's it's wonderful. I love people, so I love to take the bus out and get to interact with the moms. I love to run into people in the community that say, "Oh, you get, you know, I had a baby at Vanderbilt and I didn't have a car seat and they gave me a a car seat and it had a mother to mother sticker. Was that from you? And it's wonderful.
1: The coronavirus has certainly changed, I think all of our lives, maybe permanently. How has it affected mothers who are coping already with the difficult time of taking care of their children, feeding them, making sure that they have the necessities are you seeing a dramatic uptick in the needs that mothers have?
5: We are, and unfortunately, a lot of our stores are out of diapers and wipes. I've had social workers call yesterday and say they've driven forty-five miles all around Nashville trying to find diapers and they're they're not diapers are just not available. So we actually have decided we're gonna start partnering and doing like to just take our bus, say we're gonna be at Centennial Park, come get diapers and wipes and try to keep the safe distance, but try to get our supplies out to the people that really need them.
1: You know, we're hearing so many stories of toilet paper shortages. And it's interesting to hear that there seems to also be a diaper shortage. I, I can't imagine why people would be hoarding diapers. So what what's caused that?
5: I think between, you know, we, we are just two weeks away from the tornado that devastated our area and people mm. did you know, load up. People were very generous in donating to the community resource center. And we did take in an enormous amount of diapers and wipes for the tornado victims. And then, you know, coupled with our now shortage for the corona, I think that's just made the shelves very empty.
1: What can people do to help you? How can they uh, make possible the necessities that these children need through mother to mother?
5: Well. The first thing we need is just go to our website, and on our website, it, when you click under donate, the whole tab has you know supply a week of diapers, supply a month of diapers, supply a car seat, a pack and play, all those items. So anything that they could do, they can go on our Amazon wish list and ship it straight to our warehouse.
1: Well, I hope they will do that, Janie. You uh, deserve to be named the Huck's Hero this week for all that you're doing for so many moms. And for uh, young children out there, thank you very much, and uh, we hope that people will respond generously to partnering with you at Mother to Mother. Thank, thank you so much. Us. All right, Keith, why don't you tell our folks how they can be a partner with Mother to Mother?
0: Well, if you know a mom and child in need, and to help support the cause of Mother to Mother, visit org. Coming up, John Tesh's remarkable career in TV, radio, and music. Then, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection go to The Rock right here on Huckabee.
1: Welcome back. This week, Samaritan's Purse did what they have done in Africa with the Ebola crisis, as well as in the U.S. when disaster has struck, and what they will continue to do with your help and your prayers. And that's go where the need is greatest bringing medical care, relief, and hope in Jesus' wonderful name. Franklin Graham hit on the nose when he said, at this time of panic, we have to put our trust in God and then share that hope with others. I want to encourage you, pray for Samaritan's Purse medical team who are manning that field hospital and the second one that's already on the way to Italy this weekend. And please, call Samaritan's Purse or go to their website right now and give whatever gift you can to help their medical relief on the move, saving lives and saving souls. Well, my next guest has had an amazing career, from hosting Entertainment Tonight to his award-winning music and hit recordings. But his biggest triumph was over cancer that he was told would end his life. But well, we're glad it didn't. And how he overcame that and much more is in his brand new book called Relentless. It is an honor to welcome John Tesh to the show. John, a few uh, years back, you were given a diagnosis of cancer and told you had 18 months to live. Obviously, you beat that diagnosis. It's the theme of the book, Relentless, but I wanna talk about what that must be like to be told. You're on your way out pretty soon.
6: Yeah. Um, well, I used to play lacrosse at NC State, and it's a brutal game, right? It's the game where Native American nations would decide the fate of those nations. And, uh, and so it was, especially back in 1970s, it was a brutal game until they changed the rules a little bit. It felt like two people had hit me at full speed. Uh, I had no symptoms, Governor. I had uh, no blood markers, nothing. It was a very rare form of prostate cancer. And when the doctor who had just finished the, the biopsy uh he said uh uh uh, you should probably get your affairs in order it was like you should probably jump off a bridge with concrete on the i mean it was it was my wife and i were both you know it's it's sort of like that high-pitched sound that happens in your ears and and you can't feel anything so it was it was
1: it was a lot for us to take instantly what was your process in in dealing with this i mean your career is at a peak you're you know, you're relentless in your pursuits of excellence and all that you do. Now it's a relentless pursuit to try to beat this disease. What, what steps did you initially take to say, here's what I'm going to do to manage this?
6: Yeah. And I'll, you know, a lot of this is, uh, it's, it's the process that you can, that, that, that is in the, the, the book. And it's the reason I wrote the book is um, I went through that if I hadn't had faith for for the doctors, and these were the guys at MD Anderson and Johns Hopkins and and Northwestern um, I'd be dead right now I, and I had I had faith for the surgery I had faith for the chemo and it was an um, enormous amount of, of suffering and then you get and then you enter from suffering you enter guilt because you're going to get your chemo and you got two lines in your right arm and then their little eight-year-old shows up with seven arm seven lines in their arm you're like okay mm-hmm. so I can't feel sorry for myself um, but uh, but what happened was the cancer was relentless and, and, it, and it kept coming back and over a three, uh, three-year period and but during that period of time we were actually uh, somebody had handed us a cd of a guy that you know very well his name is andrew womack and he runs uh karis bible yeah. school and so uh it, the teaching was about it was the title was a, a better way to pray and the teaching was almost exclusively on uh mark eleven twenty-three. Which, and I'll explain this why, but we, we our whole family has this, uh, you know, tattooed on our on, on our bodies, and the the scripture says, whoever says to this Jesus talking, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will be done, shall have what he says. And I had I grew up as a as in the Methodist Church, and I had seen that scripture. But I never saw it in, in relation to into spiritual healing, and all of a sudden here I am learning. I'm just devouring all of this what's known as divine healing. I'm devouring devouring all of these teachings from Andrew Womack and also a guy named Curry Blake in uh, in in Dallas, and I'm realizing that when Jesus went to the cross, he not only took our sins, but he took our griefs and sorrows, meaning our you know our our sicknesses. And I go, wait a second, uh, God wants me well. And and uh, and you know uh, Isaiah 53, by his stripes you are healed. And then you know Proverbs 18:21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so we started meditating and studying on on all of these uh, scriptures. And then. Uh, a lymph node lit up again, and it was time to go back to another hospital. And I said, "Listen, we're gonna we need to radiate your pelvis with 57 treatments, uh, you know, in, in 3D fashion to make sure that we we got got it all." And it was almost like if you ever see the movie The 300, it was like when when Leonidas looks back at his queen, and they're trying to make a decision on 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 whether to say yes to the uh, the the, the, you know, the Persian uh, god king, and there's an eyebrow raised and they both decide, "No, we're not doing this." That was what Connie and I, my wife Connie Selleck, we had that revelation. It was like we're done and at that moment and i know it sounds ah. crazy but at that at that moment i was supernaturally healed of not only cancer but also arthritis that i had in my ankle from you know from years of playing of playing ball and so it was that scripture and now there's more of them of course but it was a mark it was mark 11:23 that was able to get the job done
1: that is a powerful testimony i i am well aware andrew womack who is a great bible teacher he's just a simple guy that reads it out there and teaches it in a powerful way. I've been to his campus, which is amazing in itself. Uh, But what a great testimony just to the power of God's word and to the power of God in a person's life who says, I'm going to put my faith in the Lord. Uh, You know, I can't tell you how refreshing that's going to be to a lot of people in our audience who are going through their own challenges. And I think that's going to be something that will help them as they read your book, John, is that you, with a great deal of transparency, talk about your journey. uh, Not from, hey, I'm a celebrity and it worked beautifully for me. Everything was great and I never had a problem. But you you really take people through the fact that being a celebrity doesn't just uh, exempt you from having to go through that painful process and ultimately surrender to the grace of God.
6: Yeah, I mean, you you said it well. You uh, know, and I, and I have the obligation of the cure now. You know, we it says in Mark 16 that these signs shall follow those who believe. They, among other things, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I mean, I think a, a lot of us think that, uh, that 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 the gifts and and signs and wonders. Uh, it's taught that many churches that they they expired when the uh, disciples you know uh, passed on, but uh, that's that's really not what the Bible says. And when I when I got that revelation, I realized I really need to. I need to share this with people. And, and I, I said to my publisher, you know, about a week ago, I said, oh, what a great time to release a book right in the middle of the coronavirus. And and my friend, Matt Bacher said, <laughs> you know, for a book like this, where you went through an enormous amount of, of suffering and challenges in your life and there's a process that you use to get on the other side of it, maybe it's the, maybe it's the perfect book.
1: I think it is. And the great thing about uh, getting a book, a lot of people have time on their hands. They can order it, have it shipped to the door, I get it on Kindle. I'm gonna let Keith, Tell everybody how they can get the book by John Tesh called Relentless. Keith, it's all yours. Relentless,
0: Unleashing a Life of Purpose, Grit, and Faith is available on Amazon and all major bookstores. You can also find it, plus John's music, social media sites, and more at TeshMusic.com. Find all sorts of helpful life tips from the radio show Intelligence for Your Life at Tesh.com. Well, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection perform a special presentation of a Dottie Rambo classic. Huckabee's back in 60 seconds. You know, the late, great Grammy Award winning singer and songwriter Dottie Rambo was known for her music that was anchored in hope and faith. Today, as our world is in the midst of uncertainty, these lyrics from Dottie give us hope. When the earth all around me is sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. Here's Trey Corley of the Music City Connection featuring vocalist Angela Prim.
7: Where do I go when there's nobody else to turn to? And who do I talk to when nobody wants to listen to?